along the way though, Burton kept a very detailed description descriptions of what he saw, especially in regards to the geography, the languages, customs, and sexual habits of uh, the natives. Oh, okay. Yes. Um. <laughs> uh, he showed particular interest in the sexual customs of the people because Burton was a bit of a sleazeball himself. Oh! So let's take a quick look at Burton's sex life and sexuality. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> Welcome to We Talk About Dead People, a podcast where we pick two dead people and talk about their lives. I'm your host, Aaron C., and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, James D. Say hi, James. Hi, James. Ugh. <laughs> oh my god. What, what the fuck? I'm dying. <laughs> Sorry, everybody. I'm still dealing with that cough. That's true. Um, we hope to keep our listeners entertained and interested while we break down these characters from the odd and exciting family that is humanity. The way this works is that James and I will do our amateurish best to give a basic account of the major events in these people's lives and how they were Responded to them. We also hope to give a fairly accurate depiction of their individual character, which is harder to do, but we're gonna try anyway. So, James, who do we have this week? We have Richard Francis Burton and Martin Luther. I know one of those names, and soon I will know things about both. Yeah, yeah, that's how it works. Yep. You know, we've been at this for a while now. When are we just gonna quit making this show? Never! It will live forever! Oh, uh... I was hoping to retire someday. You'll never be free. Oh, God. <laughs> You'll be doing this podcast until you're dead. Or I'm dead. Until we're both dead. Hell, after we're dead. We'll do the podcast in heaven, hell, or purgatory, whichever of the three we arrive at. Oh, oh it'll definitely be hell. Well, at least we know some people down there. We'll have more listeners in hell than we do here on Earth. <sighs> Look, there are always ways to get more listeners. We could do that thing that cults do, where uh, members seduce outsiders and convert them in bed. Wait, you mean you aren't doing that already? I have standards. No, you don't. Uh, to the history lab! Bold Burton, Marvelous Martin. These two historical figures are known for their radical adventures and brilliant skateboarding and saving the planet Earth from an alien invasion. Both adorable in their own way, both awful in their own way. These men defy description. In a race against time to stop Zolgar of X-29B6, only one can become the ultimate president of Turkey. You know, Aaron, talking about uh, our deaths and the, our future got me thinking. Oh? Well, we, we're gonna die. Yes. And... Maybe. There's a, <laughs> there's a good likeliness that we'll be killed. Right. Um, we, we don't know, but... Anyway, eulogies. Yes. What do you think our eulogies will be? Oh, well... If, if we had to give each other's eulogy. Oh, oh, um, hmm. Well, if I had to give your eulogy... Uh-huh. I think I'd start with an embarrassing story about your wedding night, mm. and then talk about how James was actually just a decent, good Christian boy, and all of the rest of that. Oh. Yes, uh, and then I think I'd probably tell them that you were actually a stoner lord, uh, as and in, nobody knew. As in, like like stones. Yeah, <laughs> like, lord like st of the stones. lord of the stones. <laughs> well, it's kidney true. stones. <laughs> <laughs> that, that will come up later. Okay. Uh, You'll have to deliver my eulogy tomorrow because I'm coughing. I know. Well, I'm preparing it right now. Okay. Uh, quick question, though. How do you know about the embarrassing story of my wedding night? Uh, You're going to be there in the closet with binoculars? I'm from the future. <laughs> and okay. I don't need binoculars. I just I just need to uh, have a thermal camera. Ah. It's just the whole room is just going to be bright red. <laughs> yeah. 
So yeah, there you go. Probably it's going to be a crazy night. <laughs> so what about me, man? Well, if I had to give your eulogy uh, to all three people at the funeral, <laughs> <laughs> don't die. Uh, okay. <laughs> do die. I am giving you eulogy. Yes, yes. We we need to hear it. Yes. Uh, I'd ha- I wouldn't have much to say. I'd probably just say that the the gas station you work at was <laughs> very fond of your service. Uh-huh. Uh, and that many of the whores of St. Louis will mm-hmm. remember you. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good to me. Uh, so, uh, are you done? Yes, <laughs> okay. yes, I am done. <laughs> oh my god, I'm dying. You are not done. Okay. Uh, computer, please bring up Richard Francis Burton and Martin Luther. Affirmative, my lord. Alright, so, uh, James. Yes. Tell us what this Burton guy was famous for. Richard Francis Burton is best known for being... Okay, um, here, I'm just gonna read the top of the Wikipedia page because it sums him up pretty well. Okay. And it says, he was an English explorer, geographer, translator, writer, soldier, orientalist, Uh, cartographer, ethnologist, spy, linguist, poet, fencer, and diplomat. Wow. He is best known for his African expeditions, though. See, I have, I have a question, uh-huh. um, and this may make me sound stupid. Okay. But what is an Orientalist? I, I don't know. Okay. I think someone who explored the Oriental? Uh, I, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> well, that would explain that word, I suppose. But, I guess. So, uh, what does he look like? Uh, Burton looks like your ideal 1850s British man. Ah, so black and eight feet tall. <laughs> <laughs> Throwback, <No>. everyone. <laughs> Actually, no. Uh, but if you don't get that reference, episode five. Yes, is, I'm surprised uh, you remember the number. Yes, uh, mm. that I was Harold Hardrada, right? Yes, mm, and mm. William Kidd. And William Kidd. Anyway, so there. Burton looks like your ideal 1850s British man. Okay, grim face, white, perfect hair, a superb mustache. A love for his country. Oh, nice. A giant erection at all times, uh, and a face that looks like it was impaled. Well, holy shit. What? That will all that, come. <laughs> really? That will all be explained later. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> this is going to be good. I can yeah, feel it already. Yeah, it turns right. out this guy was pretty horny, uh, oh. and uh, was also impaled in the face. Well. But those do not go together. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So okay. moving on. Um, what does what is Martin Luther best known for? Martin Luther is best known for being a gigantic figurehead in the Protestant Reformation, <laughs> writing some good and some really not great stuff, and also kind of being a dick to everyone who disagreed with him. Ah. Also, we're recording this on the anniversary of the what? The 500th anniversary. 500. The 500th anniversary of uh, what? Him pinning the stuff the, the pieces to the, the wall. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. We're gonna learn about that. I'll tell you what. <laughs> It's not as if I hadn't heard enough about Martin Luther. I know. Every Facebook page is just filled. Well, what does he look like? I I don't know that. Where to begin? Okay. If I had to find the most arrogant-looking bastard (laughs) known to the human race, my hunt would be over. I mean, it's bad. Real bad. He's got a mouth that is withered to a thin line from years of simpering. His eyes have rolled so many times we should really hook up a generator to them. His hair is curly and goes over his ears. He has multiple chins, at least one of which that looks like a butt. Uh, In his eyes is enthroned the flame of judgment and contempt for everything about you. Uh, They just kind of look out at you from their pasty white fat shutters and say, Yeah, I see you there. How's your doctrine doing today? Meaningless and full of errors? How quaint. (laughs) 
Yeah, I don't really like how this man looks, but we shouldn't judge a book by its cover. I've known some terribly arrogant-looking fellows who are as humble as a loyal collie. That's that's true. Mm -hmm. So, I think we should, one, take a break so I can cough my lungs out. Yes. And when we come back, we'll talk about Richard Francis Burton's early life and Martin Luther's early life. I agree. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People and I No Longer Have Any Lungs. Yep, we removed them with a fork. Good, because they've been causing me pain for a week and a half now. Hmm. Yeah. So, uh, James, tell us about Richard Francis Burton's early life. Uh, first, I gotta say, have you ever heard of a more British name? Um, uh, yes. Lionel Van... Just stop. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. The only name I can think of is Juan Mohammed, but, you know. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, okay. uh, Richard Burton was born in the town of Torquay, England, in 1821. Huh. His dad was a lieutenant colonel in the British Army, and his mom came from a wealthy family, so growing up was pretty easy for young Burton. Cool. At least in the wealth department. Ah. Which is not our department. Uh, that is no. Burton's department. No. It would be our wealth department if we had more patrons and listeners, but, you know. That's true. I have standards. Hmm. <laughs> So, uh, sorry, listeners, he will not sleep with you for <laughs> listening. Well, I may if you give a big enough donation. <laughs> I'm gonna okay? give I'm gonna give you a never mind. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, uh, Burton's family traveled quite a bit during his childhood. They lived in France and then Italy for a while, and Burton was educated by various tutors. Mm. He quickly showed to be a brilliant young chap and was also quite adept at learning languages. Cool. As a kid, Burton learned French, Italian, Neapolitan, what, and like the ice cream? Latin. Yes. <laughs> okay, so he learned to speak to ice cream. Got, Got it. it. True. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also evidence he learned Romani, which is a language that many gypsies use. Okay. Burton learned this because he started banging a gypsy girl. Oh! And oh. she taught him her language. <laughs> a few select phrases. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, <laughs> But Burton was a sad boy. Oh. Although smart, he had no friends. That's really weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in fact, in his own words, he describes his childhood as, Do what thy manhood bids thee do, from none but self-expect applause. Wow, that's the most... He couldn't really have phrased that any more pretentiously, <laughs> no. in my opinion. He was a pretty pretentious guy. That might as well be written in Latin, for God's sake. <laughs> yes. Okay. So he doesn't have any friends. Um, and it does not get easier for young Burton. Ah. He attended Trinity College in Oxford, where he was regularly antagonized by his fellow students and even his teachers. Wow. Uh, poor Burton was being bullied. That sucks. In one case, a student mocked Burton for his ridiculous mustache. Oh, uh, what? So Burton did the only logical thing to do in 1840. Oh, he they had tea. Well, maybe. Uh, but first he challenged the student to a duel. Nice. Uh, <laughs> we don't know whether it took place or not. Oh! But what kind of duel? Like a pistol duel, sword duel, fisticuffs? What's it? Um, all of them. Just didn't say? Okay. <laughs> Everything say. goes. Yes. Uh, anyway, at Trinity College, Burton continued to do well academically. Good. He learned Arabic and also learned falconry and fencing. That, the, that's <laughs> so pretentious, yes. but kind of awesome. <laughs> <coughs> Fucking... Just <laughs> shut the Unfortunately, things took a turn for the worse when Burton and a few of his friends secretly went to a horse race, ah. which was strictly against the rules, yeah, I guess. Yeah, obviously. Uh, yes. Uh, after the horse race, Burton decided that it was stupid for watching for what it was stupid that watching ponies run was against the rules. That is stupid. It is. It is so, stupid. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he decided to do something about it. Oh, good. He went to the school superiors and told them they should change the rules. Okay. And they promptly expelled him. Oh. <laughs> 
seems like a bit of a bit of an overreaction there. Well, he also told them that he went to horse oh, races. I and see. That is the unforgivable sin. Yes, as we all know, yes. the only bad thing you can ever do is go to the horse races, unless you ask Martin Luther. And speaking of. Martin Luther. Let's talk about his early life. Let's talk about Martin Luther's early life. <laughs> Martin Luther was born on November 10th in 1483 to the least attractive couple I have ever seen drawn on paper. <laughs> yeah, I'm yeah. not even joking. Really? Just go check these out. So ugly. They look like potatoes, <laughs> but not like the good ones, like the ones you've had sitting in your closet Shit. for like a month. Oh. What, they got shit growing out of their faces? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, as was customary at the time, he was baptized into the Roman Catholic Church the day after he was born making him a child of God from the very start. Except for that one day, his first day. That was just a crazy day. Had to get on all that sin before starting to walk in the light of the Lord. But that's kind of hard to do when you're a baby, so we can assume that Martin Luther was born perfect, stayed perfect, and became a perfect little Christian for life. Okay, yes. great. So uh, Luther also had several siblings, because honestly, it's the late 1400s and there's not much else to do but bang, have a ton of kids discover America or dive cold in the middle of the spring. Oh. Yeah. So uh, Luther's father, though, had big plans for Martin. Okay. You see, Luther's dad, Hans really wanted little Martin to grow up and be a lawyer. So much so that he sent him off to boarding school. Now, little Martin Luther did not like this school. All they taught was grammar, rhetoric, and logic. And if you're a kid of any age, there could not possibly be a worse set of classes than those three to sit through. Wait, grammar, rhetoric, and logic. Grammar, rhetoric, and logic. Yeah. Apparently it's like that alternate core thing they have at those colleges now. Okay. Martin Luther compared these experiences uh, with these classes to hell itself oh. in his later writings. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah, so this is this is the beginning of a long line of exaggerations on Martin Luther's part. Okay, I can understand yeah, that. Yeah, get ready. <laughs> but he wasn't there forever. At 17, he went off to college at the University of Erfurt. Hmm, I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a funny Which, name. get this, he also did not like. Ah. I don't get why, because he described it as a, quote, beer house and whore house. Whoa. I mean, that doesn't sound that bad. <laughs> I mean, that's what most colleges are anyway. But that's true. What's odd, though, is that the school was known for being thoroughly rigorous in its teaching of the Catholic faith. Hmm. It seems here uh, that it was here that Martin Luther began to notice his own deep resentment for the ritualistic nature of the church at the time. Hmm. Either way, he got his master's degree in 1505 and went to law school. Okay. Here he complained that learning law was pointless because, quote, and I have no idea what this means, law represented uncertainty. Or something esoteric and inaccessible like that. Oh, uh, what? Yeah. So, there you go. Law okay. represents uncertainty. I don't know what that means. Uh, uh, I, yeah. But that's why he quit. So, okay. he decides to do what we would all do. Uh, study philosophy. Hmm. Uh, because philosophy apparently equals certainty. <laughs> uh, he okay. Was, he was taught to be a skeptic by a pair of tutors he hired and learned to question everything, uh. especially big and authoritative voices. Okay. Well, good. Yeah. Martin also concluded at the time that while philosophy and reason were useful, they could not actually bring anyone closer to God. Ah. Yeah. So... Yeah, reason. Who needs it? Mm. He began to criticize, in particular, Aristotle, oh. <laughs> uh, and began to develop his own philosophy. Hmm. The main thing he came up with is that reason is a tool for questioning men and institutions, but not God. No, sir. Oh. He concluded that humans could only learn about God through divine revelation. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> this sounds dangerous. <laughs> this sounds dangerous. In 1505, he was on his way home from class when a thunderstorm broke out and lightning nearly struck him. Hmm. Terrified of death and divine judgment, Martin apparently screamed to the raging heavens, Help! Saint Anna! I will become a monk! That's what he sounds like. Is that an actual recording of uh, his voice? That actually was an actual recording. Wow. It was recorded on a log. <laughs> on the printing press, I believe. <laughs> on the printing press. Uh, so, being a principal chap, Martin joined a monastery two weeks later. Hmm. And his dad was not happy. Uh, yeah. Well, basic story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So, 
I think we should just roll right over, or do you want to take a break? Oh, I'm good. Okay. Let's just roll right over into Richard Francis Burton's adult All life. All right. So, when we last left Burton, he had been kicked out of school. Ah. Uh, so he decided to join the army because he was, in his own words, fit for nothing but to be shot at for six pence a day. <laughs> Talk about self-esteem issues. I know. Uh, so he joined the army of the East India Company. They have an army? They did. Okay. Maybe they still do. <laughs> it's still out there. There's like a there's a there's a remnant <laughs> like hiding in the woods. Yep. <laughs> uh, he wanted to be deployed in Afghanistan because the first Afghan war was going on, but it ended before Burton could arrive. I'm sorry, but the war in Afghanistan <laughs> has never ended. Let's just be clear. Yeah. Who who in their right mind wants to be sent to Afghanistan? Uh. Not Burton. No. He's not in his right mind. Anyway. Uh, so. So. Instead, Burton was posted in India. Okay. While here, he continued to study languages and quickly learned the languages of, and I'm going to butcher these, Hindustani Gujarati. <laughs> that, that can't be it. Punjabi, Sindhi, Saraki, and Marathi, and Persian. Oh. I, I don't know. It's like... Okay. So what is that? One, two, three, four, seven more languages. It's a lot. Yes. Yeah. So at this point, he's got like 13 languages he knows or That's something. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yes. But he's still, you know, not worth more than six pence and right. being shot at all the time, apparently. Yeah. Well, that changes soon. Oh, good. Uh, he also studied Hinduism and the native cultures of India so much that his fellow soldiers somewhat ostracized him and said he was going native. Oh, okay. And, and they also called him... Uh, something I can't really say over the air. Oh. So I will change it a bit. They called him, quote, the white nincompoop. Oh my god. Yeah. So is that is that really what... Oh my god. Uh, different mm -mm. N-word. Yeah, just a little... Sweet Racism. Jesus. Uh, classic. Yeah. Classic racism. Of course, Burton wasn't really helping his own situation in regards to friends, though. He had quite a few monkey pets. Wait. <laughs> Monkeys? That's exactly what I said. Yes, he had several monkeys because he wanted to learn the monkey language. Uh, <laughs> that can't be real. Uh, it's what he did. Uh, wow. He also had the tendency to challenge anybody who disagreed with him to single combat. Wow. He fought more enemies in single combat than any other man at the time had done. Wow. Did he, like, kill all of them? No. Okay. Uh, interesting enough, um, in his entire life, Burton did not kill a single man. That's bizarre. It is bizarre. I mean, he's no. he goes in history as a feared explorer and soldier. He didn't kill a single guy. Wow. No. Wow. Uh, but he did fight really ferociously, so oh. much that his his fellow soldiers called him demonic. Oh. And also gave him the nickname of Ruffian Dick. <laughs> <laughs> Next time you call someone a dick, it can't just be, you dick, it's gotta be, you Ruffian Dick. Yes. 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 Oh. So, was Burton happy? Poor, poor Burton was not happy. Aww. He wanted more than to be ostracized by soldiers. <laughs> Burton wanted adventure. Nice. So he decided to do just that. He got permission from the Royal Geographical Society and the British East India Company to leave the army in order to explore and chart the Middle East. Okay. At this point in time, Burton had been in India for seven years, and uh, this time had given him thorough understanding of both Hinduism and Islam. Ah, important. Yes. So he decided to do what any white, non-Muslim European should do. He decided to attempt a Hajj. Oh, yes. okay. Uh, for those of you who don't know, a Hajj... <laughs> it says Haf. No, a Hajj is a sacred pilgrimage that Muslims take to Mecca and often Medina as well. Nice. Uh, which are their holy... Two of the three of their holy cities. I did not know they went to... 
two cities. It's usually just Mecca, but sometimes they do the whole Flight of Muhammad thing to Medina as oh, well, I see, I see. or relive it or whatever. Uh, anyway, so this is a this is a very Muslim thing, and they t uh, Muslims tend not to like if non-Muslims take the Hajj. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Burton summed this up himself by saying, "Quote." Neither Quran or Sultan enjoin the death of Jew or Christian intruding within the columns that note the sanctuary limits. Nothing could save a European detected by the populace or one who, after pilgrimage, declared himself an unbeliever. Well, yeah, I yeah. guess not. <laughs> uh, but Burton decided to do it anyway. Uh, okay. So he did his best to just blend in. He uh, joined a group of Muslim pilgrims and garbed himself in whatever Muslim pilgrims wear. Ah. Uh, he also circumcised himself Ooh. because Muslims believe in circumcision. This is... Oof, he really, really he, wants to go there. He went the full mile. Wow. Uh, the journey went well for a while. Uh, Burton blended in and kept amazing records of everything that happened. Mm -hmm. His group was attacked by bandits a few times, so that's fun. Oh, that's kind of cool. Uh, Fought them off. Yeah, but okay. that, that's about it. Okay. Uh, the pilgrimage eventually arrived to the destination, and Burton was, from here on, allowed to wear a green head wrap because he had done the Hajj. Wow, so he did. Yeah, he wow. did it. Okay. And uh, he was never caught. Uh, Burton then... You okay? Yeah. Okay. Burton then traveled to uh, Cairo. I was gonna say Cairo. There's a town. Uh, it's in not a real city. No. <laughs> There's a town in Illinois, and they pronounce it Cairo. Oh, is it spelled Cairo? It's spelled Cairo. Oh my god. And it's named after Cairo because it's it's built on um on a river, just like Ky Cairo is. But yeah. they Pronounce it Cairo. Oh god, that's classic Indiana. Yeah. Yeah. Illinois. It's, oh, Illinois. It's at the very bottom of Illinois. So, close enough. Yeah, <laughs> same thing. Anyway, uh, he traveled to Cairo and then sailed back to his regiment in India. He then joined the political department of the East India Company and was told to take a team and explore Somalia and the middle of Africa because not many Europeans had been here before. Ah. In fact, in most of the places that Burton would go, Europeans had never been here. Wow. Uh, this expedition began on October 29th, 1854 and lasted until February 9th, 1855. Wow, so, so like a whole like year. A year and a half. Wow. Yeah. Uh, to begin this journey, Burton did the smart thing and took off completely by himself. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, just with a machete hacking through the jungle. He just well, it's a desert. He just oh. marched. <laughs> this part of Africa was a desert, and he just marched right in uh, by himself. That's amazing. His plan was to meet up and join his team later. So Burton alone pretended to be a Muslim merchant and spent much time in the Somali port city of Zila. Why? Uh, he was talking to the ruler there. Oh. Uh, he was basically kind of imprisoned by this ruler for 10 days. Wow. But as a guest, but he wasn't allowed to leave. For uh, so like a mob boss's guest. Exactly. Got yes. It. All right. Uh, after that, he decided it was probably time to get back to his team, so he started his journey through the desert. Mm. Alone. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> He came very close to dying of thirst until he saw some birds and realized that birds mean water ah. and water mean life. No. Water mean life? life? Water water means life. <laughs> and life means taking a giant shit on your toilet uh. and then looking over and realizing that you don't have any toilet paper. The so then you have to use your hands. Oh my god. Oh, what the super fuck? So Burton saw some birds, Good. and they led him to water, and he didn't die. Cool. So now that he had his team, they all traveled into the... <laughs> <laughs> you wrote... Why does that say American Heartland? <laughs> I meant African Heartland. Yeah, the American Heartland is just uh... desert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe their hearts okay. are. Okay, so they're heartland. in the African Heartland. African Heartland, yes. And they were almost immediately attacked by a group of 200 Somali warriors. Okay. 
Uh, many of Burton's colleagues were killed or captured and tortured to oh, death. God. Burton himself received a javelin. Oh, no. The javelin went through one of his cheeks and exited through the other cheek. Uh, so, like, on his face, yeah. not his ass. All right. No, no, okay. his face. So, his face. Yes. so he's got a spear. Just hanging there, yes. Oh, God. He managed to fight off the Somali warriors and escape, all while having a fucking javelin running through his cheeks and mouth. Wow. <laughs> That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. In his books, Burton later described the Somalis as a fierce and turbulent race. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, that took a javelin through the face to know that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so now that his team was, you know, kind of destroyed, Burton and the few survivors fled back to British territory. Okay. Burton was large, largely cleared of any blame that he was a bad leader, but his little incident really hurt the, his career. Oh. Oh, and the javelin really hurt him. In yeah. all his pictures, his cheek scars are clearly visible. Oh my god. He's got these cheeks that look like a javelin went through them. <laughs> Oh, anyway, in 1855, Burton joined the army again and was sent to the Crimean Peninsula to fight in the Crimean War. Okay. He was not here long, though. Burton was put in a corps of local fighters, and then these local fighters mutinied and refused to obey orders. This also hurt Burton's career. <laughs> He's not really winning much no. here, is he? <laughs> his, uh, his superiors started to have doubts about uh, his leadership capabilities, even though, like, none of these things were his fault. Mm, okay. Because he wasn't leading this group of soldiers who mutinied, so I don't know. Ah. So finding no luck in Crimea, Burton decided to do the only thing he was good at. And by good at, I mean not really good at. And that was exploring Africa. Oh, he's going back! <laughs> he's going back! Okay! Uh, in 1856, the Royal Geographical Society sent Burton to explore Central Africa. <laughs> the expedition had an unofficial mission that wasn't really said out loud, but N Burton knew it all the same. He needed to find the Great African Inland Sea which Europeans believed must exist because where else would the Nile get its water? Ah, but no, thinking. Yeah, but no European had ever been far enough to find the inner sea, and Arab merchants were unhelpful. Okay. They said the sea did exist, but couldn't give much info on size or location. I see. So Burton had to find it. But before leaving to pursue his love of adventure, Burton pursued his love with Isabel Arundel. Who is Isabel Arundel, you ask? I did not ask. It's the woman he fell in love with. Ah, it's yes. the woman? You mean she's the woman? It's an it. It's the 1840s. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> Bad joke. That needs a beep. Yeah. The two were secretly engaged because her family was strongly Catholic and would not allow a marriage with their daughter and Burton because Burton was not a Catholic. Ah, was he a Lutheran? No. Uh, interesting note here, Burton himself was actually an atheist. Weird. And being an atheist at this point in time was not a popular thing to be. So, wow, not uh, a good career move on his part. No. <laughs> but interestingly enough, this, this didn't keep him from researching, respecting, and admi admiring all religions. Like, huh. He wrote extensively about Islam and Hinduism and... Wow, what Things a guy. Like that. Yeah. Hmm. So anyway, Burton and his team traveled into Africa in order to find the lakes. Uh, they were often accompanied by Arab traders, and this was both helpful and unhelpful. I see. Many of the traders were kind and helped give directions to Burton's team, but thievery was also a problem, and the team lost a good deal of important equipment due to this. I see. The <laughs> I see. I see. The team also was beset on by many tropical diseases. Oh no! Uh, Burton's good friend and co-adventurer John Speak 
became temporarily blind from oh. the disease, and get this, he also became deaf in one ear because a beetle had dug itself into that ear. Uh. They had to dig the beetle back out, oh. and then the ear wasn't inf infected. Sweet Jesus. Uh, yes. I so don't that like was, that. Mm -mm. No. no. <laughs> uh, that was Burton's friend Speak, who will come into the story later. Okay. Uh, Burton himself was so sick that he had to be carried for a good deal of the journey. Wow. Which is a great excuse, yeah, <laughs> I, I think. I'm just sick. Yep. Carry, Carry me. <laughs> Slaves. Uh, well... Yes. Uh, well, actually, really? <laughs> God, well, they <laughs> they were African servants, is oh, what it said, oh, but it's yeah, the 1840s. Servants. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Uh, finally, though, in February 1858, the team made it to Lake... Do you know how to say it? Tanganyika? Tanganyika? I think it is. Mm. It's Anyway, it's the second largest, second oldest, and second deepest freshwater lake in the world. Ah, second of everything. Yeah. Always uh, the bridesmaid, never the bride. Mm. Sorry, Lake Tanganyika. Sorry. Sure. You'll find your lover someday. <laughs> <laughs> You're anyway. number one and the most number two is... <laughs> I don't know what uh, that means. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, anyway, they had found their inner sea. Uh, Burton was absolutely awestruck by the sight of the magnificent lake. Unfortunately, though, Burton's friend Speak, who was blind and mostly deaf, wasn't able to see the lake. Oh! <laughs> Further, most of their sur surveying equipment had also been lost or stolen, so they weren't really able to survey or chart the lake. So, uh, after that, the, uh, the team split up. Speak traveled north, where he eventually located the Great Lake Victoria. Uh, which is not its African name, I should oh, tell you. That no. was a British name. Oh, I should. I was wondering, because Victoria does sound so African. It does, You know, yes. they sometimes just... You know those British people. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Burton, in extremely poor health, decided to return home. Ah. Along the way, though, Burton kept very detailed description, descriptions of what he saw, especially in regards to the geography, the languages, customs, and sexual habits of uh, the natives. Oh, okay. Yes. Um... Uh, <laughs> He showed particular interest in the sexual customs of the people because Burton was a bit of a sleazeball himself. Oh! So let's take a quick look at Burton's sex life and sexuality, uh, don't we? I don't know. <laughs> in all of his writings, Burton is unusually open and detailed about sex and sexuality, especially for the time. Oh, uh, yeah, so they, what, they talked about holding hands and things? Uh, no. <laughs> the audacity! How dare they? <laughs> no, in all of his travels, he detailed the sexual customs of the peoples and also kept measurements of penis lengths what? of the male inhabitants. What? Yeah. No! And they're still around. You can find what? all these measurements in his books. So what did he do? Hey, can you stand there for a second? Gets out a tape measure. Wow. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> this one's shorter than the last. You just feel like shit after that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, God damn it. Uh, he also seems to have joined in with many of the sexual ceremonies and techniques of the natives. For some reason that doesn't surprise me. Uh, no. This, of course... Uh, was breaking very strict racial and sexual taboos of the day, and all of Burton's books were therefore usually viewed as nothing but pornographic material, which is rather unfortunate uh, because I that's guess not so. really what they were. <laughs> yeah, no. Some of it was. Yeah. I, I don't know. Yeah. Mm -mm. Uh, interesting enough, there is also some evidence that Burton may have been a homosexual or bi. Uh, in one case, he was sent undercover to investigate a male brothel that British soldiers often attended. Because, remember, homosexuality is a big no-no at this time. Ah, yes. Illegal. Uh, yes. <laughs> Actually. Uh, so they sent Burton in. Uh, the case was complicated, though, and it <laughs> oh, may God. have been due to the fact that Burton himself was a regular <laughs> patron of this brothel. Oh, my God. But there's really not enough evidence to decide either way. Wow. Uh, anyway. Wow. Uh, back to the life of Burton. Oh, thank God we're done with that. <laughs> After their expedition, Burton and Speak kind of had a falling out and they became rivals. Ah! 
Uh, Speak was publicly seen as a kind explorer who joined in with native customs rather than try to suppress them. Uh, he even fell in love with an African woman on one expedition, which wow. was, again, a big no-no in British society. Yep. Uh, unfortunately. Yeah. Burton, on the other hand, was often viewed as an imperialist and was probably <laughs> a firm believer in scientific racism as well. And you say probably because... He, he was part of a club. Ah. And this club was... They were all for scientific racism. Ah. Yes. Ah. Fun stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh... This, they stopped being friends, but the British public picked Speak as their explorer hero and viewed Burton as only a secondary figure. Aww. Later, Speak led an expedition where he confirmed that Lake Victoria was the source of the Nile, but Burton didn't believe him, oh. and the two were set to have a debate on what the source of the Nile was. Well, it, how do you debate on that? Either it connects to the river or it doesn't? I, I guess. Okay. Well, the, the debate never took place. <laughs> the day before the debate, Speak told Burton that... I cannot stand this any longer. And he left to go hunting, uh, ignoring the debate completely. Okay. <laughs> While hunting, Speak had an accident. He climbed over a wall with a loaded shotgun and somehow managed to shoot himself. Oh. He died. Oh my god! <laughs> Some thought Burton was responsible, but it actually turns out that Speak did accidentally shoot himself. That sucks. Which is just You're just strange. climbing over a wall to go get some deer or whatever, and then bam. Blam. You're the deer now. Yeah. Mm. So, uh, back to Burton. <laughs> In 1861, Burton and Isabel married secretly, and then he went on a honeymoon. Just him. Except it wasn't a honeymoon at all. Oh. He was sent to Biako, which is a small island off the coast of Africa. He was made consul of the island, but this was well, not a prestigious position at all. It sounds prestigious. Well, his wife was not allowed to come with. Oh. And the climate was considered to be anti-European. Well, that's fun. <laughs> uh, but he continued to write and research the natives, and then he was finally reunited with his new bride. Yay! Four years yeah. later. Oh, God. When they went to Brazil. Okay. Where he was relocated. So he spent several years in South America where he explored Brazil and Paraguay and got involved with a war there. Oh, wow. Uh, (laughs) Just a footnote there. Yep. Uh, Then he was again relocated to Damascus as the British consul there. This guy's just all over the place. It's India, Africa, Brazil. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, Uh, it's amazing. uh, So he was moved to Damascus because he was hoped that... It was hoped that Burton's deep cultural understanding of the area would help the situation in the Middle East. But Burton only made things worse. Damn it, Burton. Uh, yes. He accidentally antagonized a ton of the Jewish population by putting a stop to the British government's practice of punishing those who defaulted on loans. Burton stopped this, and it pissed off the Jews. I must have missed something. Why did that piss them off? Well, okay, so the Jews were the ones, at least in this area, who were giving out the loans. Oh, okay. And it was non-Jews who were defaulting on them. Ah. So the Jews were thinking, hey, you're not, you're not you stopped taking care of us. That yeah. was helping us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's complicated, but... All right, that uh, makes sense. Tensions between Jews, Muslims, and Christians continued to rise in the Middle East. Did they? Which is not <laughs> in the least bit surprising. <laughs> no! Uh, in one case, Burton pissed the governor of Syria off, who ah. was a Muslim... So the governor sent 300 horsemen and camel riders to kill Burton. Like you do. (laughs) Burton managed to escape and calmly said, I have never been so flattered in my life than to think it would take 300 men to kill me. That's amazing. (laughs) Yep. Uh, in 1872, Burton was relocated to a sleepy and uninteresting town in Austria-Hungary. Wow. It was here that Burton wrote most of his books about his adventuring, and he wrote more than 40 books wow. and hundreds That's of articles. Wow, a lot of books. 
Yeah. Uh, interesting tie-in between Luther and Burton, and I don't want to give this away, but most people already know it. Uh, uh, turns out Burton wasn't too fond of Jews either. Ugh. He wrote a book entitled The Jew, the Gypsy, and El Islam. El Islam? El Islam. I uh, guess that's okay. a language crossover, maybe? Uh, okay. Uh, in this book, he criticized Jews for regularly practicing human sacrifice. Uh... Uh, this did not help to make Burton more popular uh, among the Jewish population. <laughs> well, I, I looked into it. it. It turns out it was actually a pretty common European belief at the time. Lots of Christian Europeans spread the accusation that Jews regularly kidnapped children and then sacrificed them in underground religious ceremonies. Oh. Which, yeah. Uh, well, that sounds made up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no shit. But, anyway, not all of his books and trans translations were quite as terrible. He translated the Kuma Sutra into English. Oh! Kama Sutra. And he also translated 1001 Nights, uh, which is more commonly remembered as the epic Arabian Nights. Nice. Yeah. So, one more interesting story before we return to Luther. There was a rumor about Burton that circulated around him for pretty much his whole life. Okay. The rumor was untrue, and Burton absolutely hated it. And it was this. One day during his travels, while disguised as an Arab Muslim, Burton really had to take a piss. So he went off and pissed, but he accidentally stood while pissing, uh, which is what Europeans did, um, rather than squatting, which is what Arabs did. Okay. Turns out an Arab saw him do this, so Burton was forced to kill the guy in order to keep his cover. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> the story wasn't true, but the public ate it up and of would course. often ask Burton about it. Burton was so annoyed by it that he eventually embraced it. Oh my god. Uh, a doctor once asked him, How do you feel when you have killed a man? To which Burton replied, Quite jolly, what about you? Oh my god. <laughs> uh, and this is my favorite. In another case, a priest asked him about the story, and Burton responded, Sir, I'm proud to say I have committed every sin in the Decalogue. <laughs> Uh, like I said nice. earlier, though, Burton never killed a single guy in his whole life. Wow, that's actually really surprising, because he just seems like the type of dude who would be killing people. He was everywhere know. doing everything. Yeah, he was everywhere doing everything and everyone, apparently. It's mm. true. Yeah. Well, so, I think we want to take a break. I agree. That, yes, was, that was a long... That was, that was quite a bit, but mm. Martin Luther, we're going to have a lot on him, too. Um, and it is appropriate, because there is a lot to say about Martin Luther. Excellent. Yes, we'll be back. And we are back to We Talk About Dead People. And when we left off, we had just finished talking about, what's his name? Something Burton. Something Burton. Richard Francis Burton. Richard Francis Burton, or Ruffian Dick, as we know him. <laughs> sure. um, and now we're going to be talking about Martin Luther's adult life. Okay. Are you ready? Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> when we left Luther, he had just nearly been struck by lightning ah. and was joining a monastery. Uh, in particular, uh, in particular, mm -hmm. he joined the Augustinians, who okay. were known for fasting, praying, and confessing a lot. Hmm. They were the saddest of monks. Hmm. Even Luther says that this was a very dark time for him. Quote, I lost touch with Christ, the Savior and Comforter, and made of him the jailer and hangman of my poor soul. Oh my God. He's also 80. Oh, that's why I did that voice. <laughs> it was during this time, however, that he began to be influenced by one of his superiors, Johann von Stoppitz. Hmm. Stoppitz. Stupid. Uh, Stupid. <laughs> anyway, so Stoppitz. 
Stoppitz or Johan or whatever told him that the continual re reflection on one's own worthlessness is really not healthy. Mm, uh, yeah. yeah. So he taught Martin instead to focus on the good things about Jesus, mm. which honestly, yeah, that's kind of a hell of a lot better. <laughs> True. Uh, here he began to believe that repentance wasn't about how many Hail Marys you prayed or how often you confessed. Instead, he believed it was about a change of heart. Mm. So not too bad. And these are ideas that are still kind of hallmarks of Protestantism. True. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, two years of Augustinian fasting, and Martin is ordained a priest. Nice. He was sent to the University of Wittenberg to teach theology. Hmm. And while there, he earned two more degrees, one in biblical studies and another on some book, because apparently you can get degrees on books. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. amazing. So, yeah, no, like, not just like one book, not like I got a degree in reading. It's What, what book would you get it in? Uh, the Book of Mormon, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, so he also got his Doctor of Theology, and shortly thereafter became the Chair of Theology at the University. So, onwards and upwards, yeah, right? Yeah, I guess so. Uh, and uh, then he was made the Vicar of Saxony and Thuringia, huh. uh, meaning he had to take care of 11 monasteries. Wow. Yeah, pretty I didn't big. know that. <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a big dude. Huh. And that's that's kind of funny, because most of the time, when you think about Martin Luther, when I do, you know, when I think of the movies, he's just some monk. Yeah. And here he was like, you know, he's a big He's a big deal. Mm, yeah. yeah. Um, now, around this time, something big is going on at the old Roman Catholic Church. Hmm. You see, they've got to build a basilica. A okay. big one. St. Peter's Basilica, as it's called. And the way the church liked to raise money back then was through a little system called indulgences. Now, I know this is controversial. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to tell you what I read. Okay. All right. So the Catholic Church essentially spread the message that there's heaven, hell, and purgatory. And purgatory is a place you can go to burn off some of that extra sin on your way to heaven. Okay. And if you can't get it burned off, you go to hell. But if huh. you can, you go to heaven. Now, purgatory was sort of seen as a merciful doctrine. Sure. God gives you a second chance, and you won't be there long. Just a few years or a few thousand, depending on how good you oh, were gosh. or how bad you were. Uh, however, there was a way to reduce your time in purgatory. Oh. Actually, there were a lot of ways. Oh, good. To name a few, if you had a priest pray for your soul after you died, it could reduce your time in purgatory. Okay. If you confessed and prayed enough while alive, hey, less time in purgatory. If you gave alms, less time in purgatory. And in this case, if you bought an indulgence, it meant less time in purgatory. Okay. Essentially, an indulgence was a sheet of paper saying that you had donated X amount of old-timey dollars <laughs> and some of your sin had been wiped clean because of it. Now, I give this is a controversial and touchy subject. Yeah. This sounds like a scam to me. Yeah, sounds a little bit like a little bit like a scam. Yeah, but I don't know if you really believed it. Well, you know. Yeah, um, I mean, hell, it's like it's a get out of purgatory free card. All you do, do is give money. True. Yeah. yeah. So now there's this guy named Tetzel. Uh, yes. who was sent to Germany to sell these things and got so good at it that he was appointed a new role where he took care of all the indulgences in Germany. Hmm. Tetzel contacted Pope Leo X, who was the Pope, to ask for permission to sell what were called special plenary indulgences. Okay. Now, Tetzel not only wanted to help fund the construction of the Basilica, but he had some other debts that he wanted to pay off on his end as well. So Tetzel gets to work and indulgences just start appearing everywhere. Ah. And he is known for coining the phrase, as soon as a coin in the coffer rings, the soul from purgatory also so springs adorable yeah. i want that on my tombstone i'm gonna have to get a bumper sticker of that yeah all right but it's worth noting that this phrase is sort of seen as tetzel just being dramatic and doesn't really represent the true doctrinal nature of indulgences that is according to contemporary catholic teachings on the matter. okay well yes 
Uh, and Martin Luther does does not like this one bit. No, hmm. sir. He wrote a letter to his bishop, basically giving him 95 reasons why it was wrong. Oh. This came to be known as the 95 Theses. There they are. Uh, interestingly, despite whatever the movies show about Luther, these were not immediately seen as outright rebellion to the church's teachings. Okay. Uh, because Lu- Luther was literally the chair of theology <laughs> in Wittenberg. That's a good point. Uh, so these objections were seen more as like a scholarly dispute than anything else. Okay. That makes um, sense. But there were still some hard edges to this thing that were difficult to ignore. Such as Thesis 86, where Luther writes, Why does the Pope, whose wealth today is greater than the wealth of the richest Crassus, build the Basilica of St. Peter with the money of poor believers rather than his own money? Yeah, harsh in the buzz there, Luther. Yeah, but... Okay, <laughs> at the same time... At the same time. Great point. Yes, it is a good point. <laughs> and I have the same question. I, I've been to the Vatican. Oh, we're going to lose all our Catholics. Yep, we are. Uh, Here we go. All i got to say is... There's so much art and money in the Vatican City. It's yep. just, I, I, look, I, I'm not an expert in Catholic teachings. I don't know. But it seems hypocritical to me. Uh, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I don't know. I'm going to stop you right there, James, yeah. <laughs> and just say that um, the Lord helps those who help themselves. Ah. Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so it shouldn't really be a big problem, right? Uh, I mean, I he guess. just wrote a letter to the bishop. Right. It's not like everyone could read it. No, actually, oh, the no. legend goes that Martin Luther got a hammer and nailed this thing to the door of the local church. Oh, dear. However, most people agree that that didn't happen quite so dramatically. What he really did was actually much more subversive than that. Facebook? He gets these things printed all over Germany in both Latin and German, oh. and the whole of Europe just suddenly lights up. Because <laughs> oh, this was right after the printing press. Yeah, exactly, oh, exactly. <laughs> uh, so, no, he didn't, most people agree that he did not nail them to the door, but okay. he did just have them printed everywhere. <laughs> so either way, they are out there. <laughs> they're out there, uh, and there's still not a huge problem, though, but trouble's a brewing. Okay. Meanwhile, Luther continues to write more and more, and people are just eating it up. He's treated to a packed, to like packed lecture halls every time he gives a talk. Huge number of book sales and all the stuff that comes with that. Okay. He begins to develop his own doctrine and okay. then starts to get a little angry at the church. He starts huh. describing the church as corrupt and telling people that the official understanding of penance and righteousness are all wrong. Hmm. He starts telling people that praying and donating all the time didn't actually do anything for their righteousness. Hmm. In fact, he started telling people that they were basically worthless if not for Christ. Okay. I read somewhere a quote from him where he describes a saved person as being a pile of crap with some snow on top. Uh, oh. <laughs> to cover it all up. Damn, um, my mom used to tell me that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, now, these are all very dangerous ideas to have at this time, and the church is starting to notice. Okay. So, Pope Leo X, who is the Pope, sends out the ring wraiths. And Actually? By, yeah. And by ring wraiths, I mean theologians, fellow priests, heresy detectives, and whatnot, all to shut Martin up. Ah. Uh, he did this for three years. Wow. And all it did was make Martin mad. So, hmm. Pope Leo X, who is the Pope, summons Martin to Rome to talk. And this is what is called the Imperial Diet, which is hilarious. <laughs> I thought an Imperial Diet was just third world countries. Oh! 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 oh. <laughs> so he's at the Imperial Diet. Okay. All right. And so for three days, Martin Luther is questioned and reprimanded by Pope Leo X, who is the Pope, and all his other holy men. These talks did not go well. <laughs> they always kind of ended up with people shouting at each other. Martin started to get a reputation as an upstart and anti-pope kind of dude. And Martin knows that if he loses this battle of words, he will literally be arrested and imprisoned as a heretic. So, he has to fight, right? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. WRONG! Instead, he sneaks out of the city at night and goes AWOL. He pops back up again uh, in several more theological debates, uh, where he eventually goes completely heretical. 
This oh. happens when Martin basically says that the church is holding scripture hostage. Hmm. See, at this time, there were no Bibles publicly available, and all scripture was interpreted by holy men in the church. That hmm. kind of makes sense in the Dark Ages, uh, when only scholars and clergy can read. Sure. You wouldn't want those peasants thinking for themselves, after all. They could start a revolt. And uh, I'm not being entirely facetious here. It does make sense to keep scripture locked up so it can't get turned into kind of a mess, like a manifesto behind a revolution. Right. Um, but now, lots of people can read, not just scholars. Okay. So Martin Luther thinks it's time to unleash the big bad Bible to the whole world. Huh. And this gets him excommunicated from the church. Huh. Okay. <laughs> Luther gets a letter saying it's over for him, and he just sets it on fire in the public square. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Actually. And now it's time for another diet uh, called most horribly the diet of worms. Shit. Yeah, you know, I don't even have to make a joke there. It's right there. Yeah. Diet of worms. Anyway, it's pronounced worms, but worms is just so much funnier. <laughs> I don't know. Yep. Uh, so anyway, it takes place in worms, and Luther is summoned to defend himself yet again. Hmm. Here he comes across a guy I haven't mentioned yet, uh, who is something like a nemethith. Nemesis what in theology. Is, okay. His name is Johann Eck. 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 Eck lays out a bunch of uh, Martin's books on a table and asks Luther if they are his and if he stands by what he wrote. And Martin hmm. Luther says he needs time to think about it, <laughs> which makes sense. Answering wrong could mean death. Yeah. Uh, he comes back the next day and says the following. Unless I am convinced by the testimony of the scriptures or by clear reason, for I do not trust either the Pope or in councils alone, since it is well known that they have often erred and contradicted themselves. True. I am bound by the scriptures I have quoted, and my conscience is captive to the word of God. <laughs> I cannot and will not recant anything, since it is neither safe nor right to go against conscience. May God help me. Amen. Well, yes, there you go. <laughs> he then raises a fist to the sky like a boxer claiming victory. Do dogs do that? What? Bo do boxers? Not the dog! Fuck, you idiot! <laughs> no, he actually did this, though. Really? Like, May God wow. help me out. Amen. And then he raises a fist like he won something. Okay. Um, well. But then Eck comes back at him and reminds him that personal interpretation of the scripture has caused revolts in the past and that depending on it alone to find truth is a great way to start more. Mm, uh, he reminds him of a guy named John Huss who was literally burned at the stake for this sort of thing. Hmm. Uh, Eck then asks him to recant, but Luther says no! So Pope Leo X, who is the Pope, right. calls several conferences with his main men to decide what the hell they're going to do with this man. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, Luther heads home, but vanishes before he arrives in Wittenberg. Where did Luther go? Oh, I wasn't... Uh, it's like a Where's Waldo of the 15, mm -hmm. 1500s. Yeah. <laughs> where's Luther? <laughs> uh, probably writing something terrible. <laughs> I don't really want to find him. Oh, uh, yeah. So... Anyway, the, eventually the church makes the decision, and they decide to declare Martin an outlaw, ban his hmm. writings, and arrest him. Wow. Quote, uh, we want him to be apprehended and punished as a notorious heretic. Hmm. They also make it a crime for anyone in Germany to feed him or shelter him. Oh, and you can also kill him without getting in trouble. Yeah, good stuff. Oh. <laughs> uh, so okay. what happened to Luther? Yeah, what did happen to him? He got robbed on the way back to Wittenberg and was escorted to Wartburg Castle. Oh. It was then that the robbers revealed themselves to be the employees of Frederick III, who liked Luther and wanted him to stay with him until the whole thing blew over. Why, why did he like Luther? Uh, I, I don't know, just maybe because he was a you know radical upstart oh, okay. or something like that. I, I don't know. I didn't look into it very much. Huh. But anyway, uh, what's, that's not important. What's important okay. is that while he was with Frederick, Luther starts working on a German translation of the Bible huh. and keeps writing shit about the Roman Catholics. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and he just sort of stews here for a long time, getting angrier and angrier about it. He calls the Pope the Antichrist. 
and a lot of other things. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I um, still hear that among Protestants today. Oh, yeah, no. It's all over the place. It's, oh, it's there. there. Martin Luther no. is still alive and well, believe me, yeah. and we'll get to that later. Oh, no. Uh, but, uh, yeah, this shit does, doesn't, like, get written and not read. People are just gobbling this shit up. Right. And bad things are beginning to happen. Mm. Some Augustinians literally revolted and took over their own monastery. <laughs> they smashed all of the images of the church and the statues of Mary and such things like that. Wow. Yeah. Now, if you can imagine that situation, you just... All of your monks are coming after you because you're, you know, a papist or whatever they right. call you. Um, and they're smashing your statues. That's pretty horrifying, honestly. That is scary. Um, but yeah, so these little cult groups inspired by Martin Luther's writings just kind of start popping up and causing problems. Uh, and some people became completely advinced, convinced that Jesus was coming back. Uh, like, right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's that, yeah. that trope again that keeps showing up. I know. So uh, Martin Luther returns to Wittenberg, finally, and finds it in shambles. Hmm. Because people are freaking out about this whole Protestantism thing. Okay. Uh, here, Martin makes it known that he does not support any violence committed because of his writings. Good for him. And he won't take any responsibility for it, which is, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. So uh, he can't stop it, though. Um, the Radical Reformation becomes a thing, uh, which is basically a blanket term for all the peasant revolts Johann Eck warned Luther about at the Diet of Worms. Yeah. Churches and libraries are getting burned down. Priests are getting killed. And the whole of Europe is feeling the effects of Martin's writings. Huh. Martin really doesn't like this and starts writing against the violence. Well, good for him. And this actually helps a little bit. Some revolts just kind of stop when those involved learn that Martin doesn't like it. However, others just get more lively because now they feel they've been betrayed by their new religious mascot. Hmm. So they start killing more people, basically. Yeah. Now, a fun story. Martin Luther was once contacted by a woman named Katharina, Katharina or whatever, Von Bora, who was a nun. Okay. She really liked Martin and wanted to learn from him personally, uh, but felt stuck in her convent. What's a girl to do? Martin Luther knows, so he paid a herring merchant to smuggle his this nun out of her convent, and she brought friends. They arrived in Wittenberg, and one of my favorite quotes ever comes from this. Some student wrote this, quote, A wagon load of virgins has just come to town, all more eager for marriage than for life. <laughs> I, I don't know how I feel well, about I don't that. Know. I think it's kind of, I don't know. It's I, funny, <laughs> though. It's, it's uh, it, yes, it is pretty funny. Um, anyway, so this worked in Martin's favor because he ended up marrying Katerina when he was 41 and she was 26. Uh, now remember, this is kind of a big thing because priests don't marry. Right. But in Martin's view, vows of celibacy are akin to trying to manipulate God into thinking you're better than you are. Huh. Which sounds like a really shitty excuse yeah. to just get married. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he declares that priests can get married. And then he does it himself. <laughs> so uh, Martin decides it's ti finally time to fix the church hmm. by starting a new one. Good. <laughs> uh, he completely changes mass to be in German instead of Latin and makes vestments, icons, whatnot all optional. He continues writing books and hymns and translating the Bible in the meantime. Okay. And he wrote some interesting books, I will say. Yes. He was not a fan of the Quran, but opposed banning it because he felt it was better for it to be honestly criticized than just banned. I, just, I agree. I get that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all for that. Yeah. Uh, but he really, mm, he really, really, really did not like Jews. Ugh, yeah, I, I know. There you go. Mm. He wrote a book called, and I shit you not, this is actually what it's called. What? On the Jews and their lies. <laughs> Can you believe you, that? I, I, I can't even say anything. No, there's nothing to say. That's just... I mean, 
That's about the worst name I can think of for a book. Right. <laughs> uh, in it, he called Jews the devil's people. Uh, and he was all for burning synagogues, oh, burning God. Jewish books, silencing rabbis, seizing property owned by Jews, wow. and destroying their homes. Wow. He called them, quote, envenomed worms. <laughs> And said they ought to be forced into labor, quote, for all time. Wow. And he even said, we are not at fault for not, I'm sorry, we are at fault for not slaying them. Holy shit. I know. He, Wait, it's, oh yes. my God. I know. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, eventually these books were banned because pastors were literally beginning to preach messages about how the parishioners ought to start killing okay, Jews. Well, good. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, but this happened, of course, wow. and in the Third Reich, the Nazis used to pass, like, all of Martin's writings around to justify their acts. Yeah, no, yeah. no shit. And they also gave each other original copies of Martin's books as gifts. Great stuff. Wow. Yep. <laughs> That's pretty bad. What an asshole. <laughs> yeah, Martin Luther, man, who knew? Wow. Who knew? Uh, but anyway, so he's been working away on his books and whatnot. He finished translating the Bible, and now he's come to the end. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about Richard Francis Burton's end in death? Yeah, I guess so. Um, okay. There's not much to it. Burton died of a heart attack on October 20th, 1890. Oh. Uh, his... Sorry? I'm gonna die here? Well, we're both dying, so that, that fits in. His wife, Isabel, was never the same after his death, unfortunately. She went kind of crazy and burned a ton of his papers and journals. Mm. She did this to preserve his reputation because the public weren't too fond of him, I guess. I, I, okay. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, this means that a lot of his works have been lost. Well, that's maybe um, a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Uh, nevertheless, a good number of his works did survive. Oh, and remember how Burton was good with languages? Yes. Turns out that through his life, he was fluent in over 40 languages and dialects. That is insane. <laughs> it is. I can't even get, like, slang English now. I don't even know English. <laughs> <laughs> You're just yeah. making random sounds and it's coming out as words. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, then... Anyway, uh, so Isabel died soon thereafter, and the couple are buried together in London in a stone tomb carved to look like a Bedouin tent. Oh. Reflect his life. That's kind of neat. That's creative. <laughs> so, uh, let's talk about Martin Luther's end in death. Yeah. Uh, you know. mm -hmm. So, yeah. Martin gets sick a lot. Like, a lot, a lot. A lot? Mm -hmm. A lot. Fuck. And he's got it all. He's got kidney stones, arthritis, tinnitus, uh, tinnitus, vertigo, Meniere's disease, cataracts, and ear infection, and more. Oh, wow. Yeah, I know. His writings just got angrier the sicker he got, and his wife even got after him a few times for it. Good. Uh, his last sermon is literally just about the necessity of kicking all the Jews out of Germany by violent wow. means. Wow. Yep. That's so terrible. Yeah, what a legacy, You right? never hear this about Martin Luther. No, you don't. And uh, he actually wrote pretty much just as much against Jewish people it's, it's, um, as he wrote for his doctrines. Wow. Really hated them. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, so he goes to bed one night with chest pains, has a stroke, and dies at 2.45 in the morning on February, or in February of 1546. Hmm. But it's not over for Protestantism. Oh, no. And we have a few hundred years of wars and revolts before this Reformation and Counter-Reformation will be over. It was not a fun time. No. Yep, yep. You know, the the Thirty Years' War in Germany, which mm -hmm. would come a little later, but it, uh, it wasn't strictly uh, religious. There's a lot of political stuff, too, but a lot of the times it was Catholics versus Protestants. Mm -hmm. A third of the German population was killed in this war. Holy shit. Yeah. Great job, Luther. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. Um, rocking the boat over some indulgences. If only he could have seen. Do you think he'd be... 
You think he'd like take it back? I doubt it. I don't know. He's kind of a stubborn bastard, honestly. Yeah, uh, I wish know. he could have seen Nazism though, and how they ran with his works. That for some, been... yeah, for some reason, I feel like he would be happy about it. Uh, fuck. Um, because you know he was basically saying that that's what they that, needed to I, do. It sounds like it's coming from a Nazi propaganda yeah. writer. It does, and again, you know, those writings were brought up uh, as wow. like justifications, you know, to get Protestants on the side in Germany get protestants to support things like you know the jewish question solution or whatever the fuck they called it yeah so they leverage people's religion using martin luther's writings you know um pretty bad yeah pretty bad and people don't typically talk about that connection there no well i mean we we both grew up in protestant homes yes and we know that how fanatical protestants can be Mm -hmm. and martin luther is one of those icons in protestant christianity oh yeah just like this is the best you can be he questioned the catholic church Mm -hmm. I, i had friends who believed christianity died with constantine and was not revived truly until martin luther that's yeah Mm. and to, to see the, the true colors of Luther is just kind of surprising and, well, and disgusting, yeah. I mean, I remember, you know, we had a... There was a movie about, like, him translating the Bible and fighting the big bad pope and everything right, like I, that. yeah. And it's he's portrayed like a saint. Yeah. You know, they got this handsome guy and he's, like, helping peasants and things. And, you know, then you go and you look at him and you look at the facts and what he actually said. And it's like, you know... He may have been right, but he wasn't a saint by any stretch. <laughs> no. I mean, unless your sainthood includes things like anti-Semitism and yeah. you know hatred for Jews and things like that. Yeah. I mean, ugh, it's it's really gross. Um, but yeah, I think more people need to know about that because yeah, you can sure. you can agree with him on doctrinal things, um, and I, I guess you could agree with him on the other stuff, but you shouldn't. No. Um, but the thing is, you know, he shouldn't be portrayed as some kind of hero. I mean, because. No. I mean, he did a lot of bad he things. He did a lot of bad shit. <laughs> and, you know, the, the thing with the Jews was just part of it. And, you know, the, the rest of it where he started wars and there were revolts. And, you know, you should you should go listen to Hardcore History. The episode's about the Anabaptists. Oh, that, dear. That's pretty fucking weird. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, all of this was a ripple effect of him being pissed off about indulgences. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is, like, the Catholic Church is not nearly as fragmented as the Protestant Church. Oh, yeah. Like, how many, how many Protestant... Uh, groups are there um, thousands. thousands thousands of them yeah um i, I mean that, that that's, that's the feather in the cap of the roman catholic church is how unified it all is right um and i think the catholic church has shown improvement over the years well the counter-reformation was spawned by luther and that was probably a good thing yeah um but yeah so it, it, the whole the whole situation is just messy and gross. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really messy, but it's cert- and it's certainly not as cut and dry as you know. There was this tyrannical church that was running right. everything, and um, Martin Luther, the saint that he was, came along and you know Fixed stuck it, it to him. <laughs> um, yeah. But anyway, yeah. so yeah, yeah, I think we're done here. I think so. Uh, I'm ready to go back to the service. I need like ten cups of coffee. <sighs> Let's do it. What are you going to do for the rest of the day? <sighs> Chug coffee and watch BoJack Horseman. Nice. What are you going to do? I don't know. Maybe eat a pizza. <laughs> cool. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's time to bring the show to an end for today. Uh, feel free to send all your hate mail to we talk about dead people podcast at gmail.com. We will read all of it and not along. If you hate us, you're probably right. If you like us, though, please consider funding the show by becoming a patron on patreon.com. That's patreon.com slash we talk about dead people. Even as little as a dollar, as much as it costs to buy an indulgent from the church if we talk about dead people, helps tremendously. Our cover art was created by the extremely gifted and talented Ian Patterson of Ian Patterson Illustration. You can view more of his phenomenal work at www.ipattersonillustration.com. With all that being said, we'll close you out and uh, let the sounds of Protestantism play you out. It's just people screaming. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Get out in the name of a thousand devils and break your neck before you are out of the city. What? You loathsome, accursed, atrocious monster. Hey, hey now. You blubber and writhe along with all the devils in hell. Oh, okay, what the fuck is going on? I'm insulting you, Martin Luther style. There's this generator I found online where you push a button and get an insult straight from Martin Luther himself. Oh, for Pete's sake, give me that. You honor and serve the devil, thus deserving death in body and soul ten times over. Whoa. I've never heard of a more hideous sin. Whoa, uh, harsh, man. Whoever tolerates and listens to you should know that they are listening to the devil himself, incarnate and abominable as he speaks out of the mouth of possessed person. Oh, that, oh, that's pretty tough, man. You find things irreverent, inquisitive, and vain just as all ungodly men do. Or rather, as the demons and the damned find things hateful and detestable. You live like simple cattle or irrational pigs and, despite the fact that the gospel has returned, have mastered the fine art of misusing all your freedom. You reek of nothing but Lucian and you breathe out on me the vast drunken folly of Epicurus. Okay, okay, James, just stop, stop. You are the Roman Nimrod and a teacher of sin. For fuck's sake!